0: became um, painfully aware, I became painfully aware of the fact that a 50-year-old man that weighs 200 pounds should probably not try to ride a mountain bike up a hill with a 27-year-old man that weighs about 150 pounds. I've learned that when you do something like that, by nature, you feel like you're going to die. It's like this is, and and then when he goes up the hill comes down the hill. You doing okay? Yes. Goes up the hill. Well, I was doing okay, and I'm pouring sweat, and I don't think he's breathing very hard, but he was a college cross-country runner, and so, you know, I guess I'll be okay. Um, he, he's the one that invited me on the ride, and I said, and he said, I would like to ride with you again. That was fun, and I was like, yeah, I bet it was, um, I took less breaks than I normally would. Because when I ride by myself, it's climb a little, try to breathe, rest a lot, climb a little, rest a lot. But I found myself, you can't rest. Just keep going. This is embarrassing. He's wait you you can't stop again. You can't rest again. And I had to push myself further than I would wanted to wanted to push myself. And probably at a pace that probably wasn't healthy for this this stage in my life, but I managed, because I've been riding mountain bikes longer than that young man's been alive, but that's okay. I managed my heart rate, and I did okay, but if I let myself get too far, I could, I could get in trouble, but I know my threshold, and I know my max heart rate, and all that kind of fun stuff, right? But um, I found that I had to push myself, because naturally, I wanted to quit. Naturally, I wanted to rest more, stop more, And I found myself at some point going, I can't keep up this pace, even though it was a slower pace for him, it was a faster pace for me. And I figured, like, I'm not going to get back to my truck, which is up there, at this pace. But I had to push myself, and I had to keep going. If for nothing else, lunch awaited at the top of the hill. And that's a very good motivator, right? When you're going to have food. But you know, I hate to think, though that's a funny example, I hate to think of what life would be like if I never had people with me that are pushing me, that are telling me, I know that you want to stop, I know that you want to rest, I know that you want to quit, I know that you want to change direction, I know that you want to, I know that it's natural for you to. I know that it's reasonable for you to. and you fill in the blank with all of those. But I've realized that what comes natural to me is not always best for me. What comes natural to me is not always God's plan for me. What comes natural to me is going to oftentimes take me on the wrong course and bring the wrong things into my life and result in a lot of pain and a lot of frustration. And I know that among families, we kind of operate right in families as sometimes one is down and then the other one's got to pick them up. And sometimes then that one goes down and the other one's got to pick them up. And so we have all this kind of experiences within families because in, in, as individuals and as families, we have a lot going on. That's, it's just who she is. It's just who he is. It's just how they've always been. we have a lot of that going on in our own hearts and our families here in our church we have a lot of that going on because we're individuals that make up a community and we have a lot of things. Well, that's just the way it is. Well, that's just the way it is. But how much of that stuff that we like to put in that category, that's just the way I am or that's just the way it is or that's just the way we are, how much in that category can we look at and go, yes, it's that way, but should it be? Yes, it's that way, but is that the best way yes i am like that but is that really god's plan for me and so if you're like me and you find yourself in situations where your natural inclinations and appetites are on the wrong side of the ledger according to biblical morality and helpfulness and generally getting along then you may along with me need something unnatural and in our world today, I call it unnatural. The Bible or in other spaces here in the church, we typically call that supernatural, right? But I know that a lot of people in our culture today do not believe in the supernatural. They reject everything. They're humanists, natural humanists. that They believe that everything that's taking course in the world today is just a byproduct of who we are as human beings. It's part of our evolutionary journey as a species. And some things are just the way they are. And if you love Jesus and you're following Jesus, I say to you, you need something supernatural. And you're going to be right along with me. But for all those that do not believe in Jesus, who do not follow him, and do not believe in anything other than what is physically here among us, I'm asking you to kind of take a look at those things in your life and say all those things that come naturally to you, but they're in that category that you don't like them. (laughs) That as you look at your own life and, and you look at your own natural appetites and inclinations that you would look and say, I'm naturally like this, but this isn't helping. Maybe you've lost some relationships because you've acted out what comes natural to you. Maybe you've lost, maybe you've lost some jobs because you just did what was natural to you. Maybe you find yourself stuck in an, addic- in an addiction or in a, in a position of bondage. You find yourself in a position in life where you can't get out. And you simply ask yourself the question, I'm simply living my life according to what comes natural to me, but it keeps, lo- keeps breaking things up. It keeps getting me in spots that I don't like. I'm going to say to you this morning, you need something unnatural. Whether you call it unnatural or supernatural, I'm going to say it's Jesus both ways. I'm going to say it's Jesus both ways. And I'm going to speak to you this morning... With this one overall thought in mind. That you and I have this opportunity to create an unnatural life within an unnatural community. You have that opportunity and I have that opportunity. I do not need to. There there, there is no power outside of me or within me that forces me to live according to my natural appetites and inclinations. I don't need to. All of those things that I would put in that category and say, well, that's just me, and you need to put up with it. See, there's nothing forcing me to be that way. And I know that sometimes, as even some of us were talking this morning, sometimes I'm a rub some dirt in it kind of guy. Sometimes I lack compassion. And I can say, well, I lack compassion naturally. And I'm a rub some dirt in it kind of guy, so you guys all need to put up with me. And if you don't get much compassion and reason from me, well, then just too bad. Take it or leave it. That's not not my problem because that's naturally who I am. Or I can say, hmm, there's times when i got to recognize that my natural inclination as a rub some dirt in it kind of guy is not very helpful. And perhaps I need some help living an unnatural life when somebody needs compassion. Now, I think over the last 10, 15 years, I've grown tremendously. But you might not know that because you've only known me for seven. So if you don't like the way I am now, thank God you weren't in my life 15 years ago when I had zero compassion. I have a little now. I have a little now. A little more than I used to. But we have this opportunity because there is nothing in this world or in your own heart that would force you to stay living in your natural inclinations and appetites that are leading to pain and bondage and isolation. You don't need to live there. You're, you can be free from that. But in order to dig a little deeper into this, I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture for those of us that kind of have been raised reading our Bibles. And it is Romans chapter 7. For those of you, as you're turning there, if you studied the Bible at all, you probably understand that Romans 7 and 8 are this kind of of a big deal space in the Bible, where a lot of kind of different ideas are kind of contained within this one space, and what I'm going to do today is I'm going to stay away from some of the debates in-house, right? So all of us Christians that, that are following Jesus, we've got all these different kind of ideas about these two chapters, and within the Christian kind of family, there's a lot of let's say it, division over these, this section of scripture, we're not diving in there. We're going to stay kind of on the surface a little bit of this, and we're going to look at some of these general principles, okay, general principles from this text with the idea that we have the opportunity to create an unnatural life within an, within an unnatural community first thing we recognize as part of overall Romans chapter 7 is that you and I understand that there is a two-sided battle within each one of us between our nature and our spirit. Between our nature and our spirit, there is a battle. Now, for those of you that have figured some of this out, you, you understand very plainly what I'm talking about. Because there are some times in your life where you have a natural inclination or desire. You have something going on inside you that just naturally rises up. But then you think to yourself, oh, I don't really want to go do that, do I? Yeah, I kind of do. No, I don't. Well, if I do that, then that would be bad. I know. And you're arguing with yourself, standing in the middle of your living room, and your family's probably wondering, what is that, that weird look on your face? Just that glazed over, not focusing on anything kind of look, because you're in this argument with yourself. I want to go do this. No, don't do that. I want to, no. And those things, you know, for those of us that are married, sometimes you want to say things to your spouse, and you're like, if I want to eat tonight, I better not say that. Right? And I don't know, my my wife, she's quiet, but then she throws out these little jokes. And since she was such a jokester this morning, I'll put her on blast in the sermon. Because our little neighborhood, we have a neighborhood text chat. It's called neighborhood something chat or whatever. And somebody asked the question early this morning, whose dog was barking all night? And Susan writes on there, not sure, Paul was very quiet all evening. Well, thank you for calling me a dog. And all I said was, wow, right, wow. And I won't say any more than wow because I love having dinner and I love having a wife that is mostly nice to me except for when she makes fun of me and calls me a dog to the neighbors. But we all have this battle going on within us, right? Starting in verse 14, I pray that you have your Bibles open because though some of you are like, pastor, I hate when you do this, I'm going to continue to do it. Because I want you to bring your Bibles to church. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I'll sure get you some. We got some in the back. If you just want to listen, that's fine. But there will be no big Bible in the sky this morning. Because I want you to bring your Bibles. And I lack compassion, so that's the it is. <laughs> Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14, following along in the ESV translation, says this. For we know that the law is spiritual. That's God's law, right? But I'm in the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. You ever been there? Some of you and I, we're we're identifying with the text right now, right? Sometimes I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Hmm. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that's dwelling in me. Because so that's the whole problem. <laughs> I added that. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. So my, that word flesh in the Bible means my natural inclinations, my natural appetites. That's what, that, Those things that I will do without any discipline whatsoever. If I just act. As my father used to say, your brain is in neutral and your mouth is in gear. We need to switch that around because that's how I lived my teenage years. I just say it, I just do it, and brain is nowhere engaged. Why? Because whatever comes naturally to us, what will we do without any discipline is usually going to cause a disaster. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody else there? For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want it's what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer saying I got to catch up to myself. Verse twenty-one. Here we go. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in other words, the physical body, another law waging war against the law in my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now, to summarize all of that, you get it. You understand. And those of you that are following Jesus, you know, you look, you read your scriptures, you see the commands of God, you see the Ten Commandments, you see all the Beatitudes, you see all these teachings of Jesus, and you're like, that would be wonderful if we would all live just like that. Like, if you read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, you would say, that would be the perfect human being that would be the perfect family. That would be the perfect community. That would be the perfect church if we all lived like that. And you agree that it would be wonderful if we did that. Yet, <laughs> yet naturally, no, we don't do that. Because I think we would all agree. We would all agree that it's a good thing to say, Thou shalt not lie. It's a good thing. But amongst humanity, we lie. We say it's good not to lie, it's good to tell the truth, but then we go lie. That's this text. That's this text. Now, the good news is there's victory over this. There's there's victory over this because you don't don't have to live stuck like this. Because the story doesn't end in chapter 7, it goes on. And as we move on in the text, we discover that the victory will never be found in our natural ability. Never be found in your natural ability. But it is provided through the work of Jesus. So if your natural inclinations and appetites, undisciplined, unstructured, lead you to a place of isolation, bondage, pain, and hurt, why would you even look to that for victory? If you say, naturally, I'm stubborn... Well, then my, the answer's not going to come naturally to me. I, I can't do this on my own. I'm kind of like stuck with this need for something outside. I'm in need of something or someone supernatural. Notice how chapter 7 transfers into chapter 8, starting with verse 24 in Romans 7, and then moving through verse 4 of chapter 8. Paul says this, wretched man that I am because that's how he feels when he looks at I want to do this and I keep doing this and I don't want to do this but I keep doing it and I'm just wretched I just what am I going to do who will deliver me from this body of death Then he says verse 25 thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind but with my flesh the law of sin And then he goes on into chapter 8. There is therefore, because of this whole situation, there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. Well, that's good news because I'm a disaster. However, however, there's victory in Jesus. And if I call on Jesus, he's not going to condemn me. He's going to look at me in my wretched state. and He's going to go, oh, what a disaster your life has become. What a mess it's going to continue to be if you continually just to do the things that come naturally to you. And yes, Jesus would agree, we're wretched, we're broken, we're sinful. But Jesus says, good news, good news, I'm not going to condemn you for it. I agree. Not going to condemn you for it. You're not going to condemn me for it, then what are you going to do? Oh, here comes more good news, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ. So Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you for this condition you're in. I'm going to set you free from it. Oh, you're not just going to leave it like that? No. Nope. You're not just going to brush it under the carpet? Nope. You're not just going to shake your head and go, I wish my kids would do better? No. Nope. It's going to set me free from this law of sin and death. See, the law of sin and death is what chapter 7 is. The law of sin is de- sin and death is this, I want to do the right thing, but I just can't seem to. That I agree with God on what's good. I agree that we shouldn't lie, but I keep lying. Jesus says, I'm going to set you free from this law of sin and death. And here's, here's how and here's why. Verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now, it's a big statement. For the Jewish people, and then those, in, those Jews that were in Rome, and those non-Jewish people who had become Jews religiously, that's the crowd, right? That's the crowd. And all of this crowd, the non-Jews becoming Jews religiously and the Jews by nature, they all put the law way up here. And like, the law of God is our identity. It's our goal. And if we follow the law, God is pleased. If we break the law, God is angry. And now let me pause for a second because the law gets a bad rap when it comes to New Testament believers. And we're like, oh, we're in the New Testament. We don't need the law anymore. Let me just push pause on the message and say this. Look at the law in the Old Testament three ways. Civil, okay? And then ritual and moral, okay? The civil laws in the Old Testament were for the nation of Israel as a theocracy with a king, a prophet, and a priest leading the way. Do we live in that kind of situation? No. We live in America with a president and a congress and a senate and all that stuff, right? So like some of that stuff, the way the king operated and all of that, that that's for the people in Israel. But do they do that? No, it's... You really got to dive into the book of Acts in the first, century, first three centuries to kind of figure that out. But we're really not doing that anymore, the civil kind of laws. And then the ceremonial laws of all the feasts and festivals and the sacrifices and the animal sacrifices in the temple and all that. Jesus fulfilled all that, so we don't, we don't do that anymore. Okay? But the moral law, oh, Jesus ratified that all through his teachings. All those times when Jesus said, you heard it say, but I say, all that stuff about the moral law, oh you bet that's still in play. So whenever you read the Old Testament and you go, yeah, their King David was told to do this, that, and the other thing, and then the priests were to take this sacrifice and put some salt in it and remove the leaven from it and do other We don't do that anymore. But the moral underlying principles that are foundational to all of that, oh they still apply. So this nonsense that's flooding the New Testament church today of saying, oh, I'm not saved by the law, I'm saved by grace, which really is we're looking for permission to sin and stay stuck in in, in chapter 7. That's what we're looking to do. We read chapter 7 and we go, oh, I'm just a mess, and well, I'm saved by grace anyway, so I'll keep being a disaster. I'll keep being rude, I'll keep lying, I'll keep cheating, I'll keep being sexually inappropriate, I'll just keep doing all these things, because you know what, I'm not saved, the law doesn't save me. And we're forgetting that the moral law still applies. And so with that, we'll rejoin the message. (laughs) This is what the law was weak to do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who, here it is, Walk according, Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there's our opportunity. Jesus says, hey, I agree. I agree. The moral law, eh, we're all like chapter 7. I agree. But I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to give you another option. You can continue, if you will, to live your life by your own natural inclinations and appetites and continue to reap the benefits of it. Or, You can follow me and be empowered by my spirit to overcome your flesh. Because when Jesus died, he condemned sin in the flesh. So all those natural inclinations and all of those appetites that we would go, moral law prohibits all those. I'm not going to act on those. I know it's natural too. I know it comes to me unprovoked. I know, you know, as my father-in-law, this Sunday school lesson he, he used to teach, he used to put this nest on his head and put a bunch of like paper and birds and stuff on his head and do this thing. And he would say to his Sunday school class, you can't help the birds from flying over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest there. So you might have a thought. I don't know. You might have a desire. nope. You might have an appetite or an inclination. Not letting that build a nest in my head. We're going to let that fly by. Because Jesus has died and freed me from that. I don't need to live like chapter 7 anymore. Because as Paul cried out at the end of chapter 7, who's going to free me from this? Jesus is going to free me from this. How? by giving me something supernatural, by giving me something unnatural, which is his spirit infused with mine, hence the phrase born again. (laughs) And he's going to empower me to live an unnatural life within an unnatural community and no longer be subject to the bondage and isolation of my natural appetite. Nowhere in there did he ever say he's going to take away the natural appetites. You will always want to sin. You will always want to be selfish. You will always want to be inappropriate. For the rest of your earthly existence, you will be tempted to do wrong. And the majority of that temptation will be coming from your natural inclinations. Some sure will come from Satan. Yes, I know there's demons and there's a power and there's, there's that whole side of it. But 99.9% of the time you're tempted to do something, it's because it's your fault and mine. Satan is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. I doubt that I've ever come in contact with him. Because I'm just not that big a deal. But I'm pretty sinful myself. Have I been in the presence of demons? I say yes. Was it very fine? No. But most of the time, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm tempted to do something, it's just because it's the way I am and so are you. So let's just take the blame and let's join Paul in saying, you know, left to myself, I'm quite a disaster. But Jesus is not condemning me, so I'm not going to condemn myself. I'm not going to loathe myself. I am not going to hate myself. I'm not going to belittle myself or call myself anything other than redeemed and empowered from him and loved by him and regenerated by him and sanctified by him and in the coming days in our life when we cease to exist as physical beings and be transformed to a different being a different spiritual a different physical being when it's called glorification right have I been glorified yet no I'm still standing here with you you're still sitting here you haven't been glorified yet I'm in the sanctification place where Jesus is purifying me and setting me aside for holy purposes, and that's where you are too. And so, what is the challenge? The challenge becomes this. That if you haven't caught on by now, I want you to have a natural mindset by focusing on the work of the Holy Spirit, not on your own lacks or not of your own sin. I don't want you to focus on what makes you a mess. Stop focusing on your downfalls. Stop focusing on your mistakes. Stop focusing on your weaknesses. Stop labeling yourself by the mistakes that you've made. And start focusing more on the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice in Romans 8, 8, excuse me, Romans 8, 5 through 8 says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. We're always thinking about it. We're always thinking about what we shouldn't be doing. We're always thinking about how bad we are. We're always thinking about how selfish we are. We're always thinking about what we want to go do naturally. And it's consuming our minds. But those who live according to the Spirit, as the Holy Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the things of the flesh, that's, that's death. <laughs> but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So how do we do that? I think it takes all of us to join together in an unnatural community. And there is our last point for the message this morning. Have an unnatural way of life within an unnatural community. Galatians chapter 5. Turn a few pages to your right and you'll find the book of Galatians. And in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, Paul again, same author of the book of Romans, is now, te- now speaking to the church in Galatia. And he says this in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command: love your neighbor as yourself. And don't call your husband a. Never mind, that's not in there. Fifteen. If you de, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroy, Or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. See, back to that war inside you. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Boy, that our culture would hear that today. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Here they are. These are all those things that they just come naturally to us. They're the birds flying over our head all the time. For the rest of our life, they are these. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, which is the Greek word pharmakia where we get drug use from. So that part of it. And hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambitions and deceptions and factions. And envy and darkness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, so, so there, there's the things. <laughs> All that is natural to us as human beings. All of us are guilty. All of us sit right there in our natural state as humans. Now, the atheist will tell you that that's just because that's where we are currently in our evolutionary process. And in a few billion years from now, our species will live better. It will continue to become more moral and better and one day humanity won't do this but that's billions of years away I I don't what do I care about that first of all I think it's nonsense but even if it was true it's not very helpful and so if it's just that if it's just this is the way humanity has evolved and will evolve to get better so what do I do today I don't have any options I just live like that Because that's what comes natural to everybody. And there really is no hope if that's your answer. But I think we would rather live by verses 22 and 23. This is but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against things such things. There's no law against any of that. But see, we live in a culture that is telling you not only are they saying God, there is no God, and humanity will eventually evolve and get better, but for now, if you notice, this list of things in verses 18 through 21 are kind of not only being tolerated, but they're being celebrated. Because we know as current humans, that even a naturalistic outlook of saying billions of years from now, perhaps human species will do better. We know that that really doesn't help us now. So the only thing we've done is we've kind of slid down this slippery slope of saying, well, it's just natural. We just got to tolerate it. Well, now our culture has gone all the way into celebrating. So a humanity that is celebrating what it once thought was bad, do you think that humanity will ever evolve to a better space? Just as a humanist, not a chance. Even if I didn't believe in Jesus and didn't believe in God, and I believed in the evolutionary process, as taught by Darwin, if I believed in that, I still wouldn't look at things and say to myself, we should celebrate that. No, I should say, ugh, This is horrible, and this is bad, and this is destroying our community, and maybe someday people down the line will do better. But I know that we start celebrating these things, eventually it's not going to get any better. It's just going to be celebrated. So the naturalistic outlook on all of this doesn't make any sense to me. I invite you to investigate it for yourself. Think through it themselves. Take the current philosophies and ideologies and Run them through your own way of discovery and take them to their logical end and say, if we start celebrating this, where are we going?